as we've sung your arms are open wide to us we thank you Lord that you never turn us away Jesus you declared I will never leave you I will never forsake you and we know that to be true by our experience in day-to-day living at every point every moment of life you were there Jesus and sometimes we may wander away but Lord I thank you that you run hard after us Lord to bring us back into that place of communion fellowship and life with you Jesus we thank you that you never have second thoughts about our lives Lord you never regret the price and the sacrifice that you made on the cross Lord I thank you that we are your redeemed we look around this room and we're all so different we come from many different walks of life many different experiences of life we've all been involved in different things throughout our lives but Lord the one need that we share the one need that we have that unifies us together today is our need of you Jesus our need of you as Savior our need of you as Lord our need of you oh to give us entrance and access before the Father and we thank you Jesus that you have opened up a brand new way for us into the presence of God which we enjoy and in your presence father there is joy fullness of joy forevermore and holy spirit i pray today that every single one of us would know the fresh sense of your love the fresh sense of your grace the fresh sense of your acceptance lord i pray that it would settle on our hearts that it would give us a fresh vigor and a fresh strength to follow you in the days in which we live and all God's people said amen why don't you give Jesus another shout of praise and let's thank our musicians for blessing us this morning come on let's give him another shout and then you can be seated he is wonderful absolutely amazing well over these last few weeks we've been concentrating our time at looking at Ephesians chapter 1 verse 6 Paul makes an incredible statement and he says that that we have been made acceptable in the beloved and this is a result of the glorious grace of God God's grace is glorious John Newton called it amazing but Paul calls it glorious and there's many different adjectives that the writers of the Bible use when describing grace. For instance, in Acts, we said, and they said, that it was abundant grace. Meaning that they saw God as eternal and the endless flow of grace towards them was abundant. Grace will never end. There will never be a shortage of it because God is the God of all grace. He's described as the God of all grace. And in Acts, they saw this abundant grace working amongst them as a body of people and far beyond them, going into the communities, into the regions in which they lived, and even to the ends of the earth. This abundant grace that God lavishly bestows upon his people will never end. Beyond that, 
Peter called it manifold grace, different adjectives in order to try and define something that is so undefinable. Manifold grace meaning that it comes to us from every direction. It comes to your life in many, many manifold ways. And you can't just tie it down to one area. It's undefinable. It's indescribable. It's manifold grace. It's abundant grace. Paul called it when he was, when he was facing a very real uh, thorn in his flesh. God told him that, that, that his grace was all sufficient. It's an all sufficient grace. It will deal with every circumstance in life. It will deal with every problem that you face. It is all sufficient. Fear may wake you up in the middle of the night. You may be lying in a bed of cold sweat, but grace will be all sufficient in that hour. There may be questions around your health. There may be questions about your future that worry you and concern you, but the all-sufficient grace of God will win the day for us, church. It really will. It's an all-sufficient grace for every circumstance. It's an all-sufficient grace for the fierce battles that we face with the enemy we can walk straight into any fight with the enemy we don't have to retreat and hide and cower in some trench no the all-sufficient grace of God I got two now I'm in stereo hallelujah the devil don't like that the all-sufficient grace of God the all-sufficient grace of God will deal with every battle and bring us through victoriously it really will Manifold grace, all-sufficient grace, abundant grace from the God of all grace, glorious grace. I mean, you can't lose, believer. You're going to make it. You really are. And this grace makes us, you and me, so acceptable, so beautiful, so, so, so treasured by God. And you can walk into his presence today unashamed, not feeling guilty, not, you know, coming in with your, with your head hanging low. Yeah, but Dave, you don't understand what week I've had. You don't understand how, how beaten up I feel. You don't understand about the temptations I've, I've given into it's all been paid for in full, friends. Your debt, my debt, has been cancelled by the great debt collector. None other than Jesus Christ himself. The one who died on the cross and rose again for our justification. You're accepted. You can't sin your way out of it. Now, you know, we don't, we, we, we don't use the grace of God in vain. We really don't. But when we sin, we have an advocate. When we sin, there is a blood that, that cleanses us from every sin when we confess it to him. And we don't, it's not cheap grace. It came from the, from the, the sacrifice and the death and the, 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 the punishments that Jesus went through on the cross. But there is no sin that can take you out of God's grace. There is no sin big enough that can, that can remove you from the wonderful work and the power of God's salvation through the Holy Spirit in your life. It's all powerful. It's glorious. We're going to make it. We really are. And we looked last week at um, Luke chapter 15. 
And we began to see how this story of the prodigal son is a wonderful picture of God's glorious grace in a very practical, dramatic way. The kid lives, leaves his dad. The kid goes into his dad's office, walks in there, says, give me my inheritance. And by that, he was communicating a message to his dad that was very clear. Dad, I want you out of the way. Dad, I want access, not to you, but what you have. I don't want you around. The message really clear in this, in this story that Jesus told to demonstrate his goodness and his grace and his love for people that the religious people didn't love. Dad, I want you out of the way. I don't want you. I want what you have. And the father just graciously gives the inheritance to this kid. And not many days later, we read it in Luke chapter 15, the, the lad goes to a far country and he's living an MTV life. I mean, this kid is rocking it up on every level. He's just living wild from one party to another party. He's living his dream or so he thinks. And then not many days into that venture, He's lost everything and the, the friends that he bought with all of the money that he have don't want to know him now. And famine sets in and circumstance begins to press this young lad. And finally he lands up, we know the story well, living with pigs in a pigsty. And he was longing just for the food that was being fed to the pigs. What a crazy set of circumstances. What a crazy set of events to hit this young lad's life. Failure. He set out on a journey of success and suddenly he comes head to head with failure and chaos. And he doesn't know where to turn. He doesn't know what to do because he's living with pigs. I remember traveling once down the M4 past a pig farm. My goodness me. If you've ever been past a pig farm, the smell, the reek of it. And this kid is up to it in his neck. It's all over him. And it's a picture of, of what happens to us as human beings. The story of the prodigal son is a story of all of our lives. You say, but Dave, I don't want to be associated with the prodigal son. He's such a shameful character. He's such a character of disgust. Well, read Ephesians 2. When we were dead in our trespasses and sins. No, we've all been the prodigal in the pig pen. Reveling in the sty. Reeking of sin. Reeking of rebellion. Reeking of doing life the way we want to do it. But I don't want to be associated. No, when you begin to understand that that's the condition that we were all in as a result of being away from God, you begin to understand the beauty and how glorious grace really is when it captures you and rescues you from the sin that you're in. It's a story of all of our lives. In different ways. Now we may not have done what this young lad did. 
But in essence, we are all represented in this story that Jesus tells. Recently, I read a a true story about a farmer that was living a happy, contented life with his wife and his children. They had everything they needed until his friend one day came to visit him. And his friend began to tell him about diamonds and the wealth that they could bring to this simple farmer. Now, the farmer didn't even know what a diamond was. He'd never seen one. He'd never heard about them. But the wealth that could be brought, the prospect of becoming richer, made this farmer, this simple farmer that had never heard about diamonds, deeply discontented. He wanted now to become rich and wealthy. He was so gripped by this thought of pursuing another dream and finding diamonds that he sold his farm. He left his wife and children in the pursuit of a new life. And for the remaining years of his life, he went from country to country, searching for diamonds until finally he reached the shores of Spain. But now he was completely broken, penniless, And he died there in Spain, having never found any diamonds. His dream was shattered and broken by death. Consequently, the man that he had sold his farm to, one day whilst he was walking in his fields, found a shiny, sparkling, glass-like stone. He didn't know what it was. He was a simple farmer. But he took it home. And one day a friend popped by and he saw this sparkling stone and asked his friend, where on earth did you get that diamond from? What diamond? The simple farmer asked. He didn't know what a diamond was. He'd never even heard the term. His friend explained that the diamond that he had in his home would bring him great wealth. Where did you get it from, he asked. And the farmer, the simple farmer, just simply explained, well, I was down in the bottom field by the river, and there I found this lovely shiny stone that you're calling a diamond, and there are many others like it there. They ran excitedly down to the field, to the place where that simple farmer had found that diamond, and his friend exclaimed, you're rich, all of your fields are filled with diamonds. These fields, on this farm, later became known as the Golkandia Diamond Mines of India, where they found the Koinor Diamond. The Koinor is not just an Indian restaurant in Chepstow Road. That's a good restaurant, right? The Koinor for us Welsh people. I didn't know this. I'm from Ebervale. The Koinor is actually a diamond. I thought it was a good curry on Chepstow Road. No. The Koinor is actually one of the world's biggest diamonds. See, we can, you can even learn things in church. New things. 
How many people knew that the Koino was a diamond? Yeah, little liars. Yeah, look at them. We are Welshmen. We didn't know that the Koino was a diamond. We all, how many people, now put your hand up, tell the truth, you're in church. How many, how many thought that the Koino was an Indian takeaway on Chepstow Road? That's better. Thank you, Jesus. The Koino is, 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 the large, is, is the largest diamond in the world. And it sits in the crown jewels, the queen's crown jewels that are held in the tower of London. Now the moral of the story and the, the, the message, the sad message that comes from this simple story is this. The first farmer, the first farmer searched for diamonds and searched for riches and blessings in a faraway place when all along they were right there on his doorstep. They were right there beneath him, all around him, and yet he thought his pursuit of a dream, his pursuit of a new life lay in lands far away. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 24. Maybe Solomon was talking about this when he said these words. The fool has his eyes in the ends of the earth. What was Solomon saying? Well, he was kind of saying there's a tendency within all of us. Don't look around the room at somebody else. There's a tendency within all of us, myself certainly included, that when we come up against a problem, when we come up against a challenge, when we're confronted with a situation, maybe with a brother or sister in the house, we think the answer It's beyond the place of where we are. We think immediately that the grass is greener. And we have this mentality that if I move location, if I change place, if I change my social circle, then the answer that I need, the answer that I'm looking for, will be found instead of Addressing the character issue, the character flaw, the attitude adjustment that's needed. Instead of addressing that, we up and go. And our eyes are in the ends of the earth. Our eyes and our attitude and our heart are in another place only to find that when we get there, the one person that we don't think will be there is ourselves. And we meet ourselves. And the same set of circumstance that we have been involved in in the initial place of which we were, we find happening, reoccurring, and resurfacing again. The answer is not in another place. The answer is not amongst a different kind of social group. The answer is not necessarily in a new job, in another home, with a new set of friends or a new family. No, the answer is in here. Addressing this, the prodigal son, he thought his answer to a new life was in a faraway place, a far country. I don't like where I am. I don't, I don't like the, 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 the house and the home that I've been blessed with. 
I want to move on out from here. I think there's more freedom to be found in another place, in a different location. So he travels and he squanders everything that the Father had given him. Now, we said this briefly last week. He's at his lowest point after just, you know, squandering everything. He's at his lowest moment. And the Bible says, don't miss this, right? The Bible says when he was in the pigsty, he came to his senses. It's amazing that the lowest moments of life can be the most crucial. The lowest moments of life can be the most valued. The lowest moments, the most hardest, the most grittiest moments of our lives can be the most informative, the most corrective. They can give you the most guidance and set you on a course of blessing and correction towards God's grace. Sometimes, you know, we get all bent out of shape by the circumstances and the nitty-gritty sharp issues of life that we are facing, but maybe... Just like that prodigal, these low moments become such a blessing in the grand scheme, in the grand picture of our lives. And this is a moment where this kid actually begins to think right again. Isn't it strange? He's in a dirty pig pen. The only music he's hearing is the snorts and the grunts of the pigs. The only smell that he's smelling is the wretched smell of pig dung. And he, he begins to think correctly here. Where did he lose his senses? That was the question that we asked. He lost his senses in his father's house. He lost his senses. He started to think skew. When, when he was blessed, when he was provided for, when, when there was a lavish abundance and security of his father's home because he took it for granted. And that's when he went off on his course, off on his own journey to pursue his dreams. But that, you know, there's, there's a proverb, isn't there? Another proverb that says, there is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is destruction. And that's not, you know, just destruction of life in that we, we die as we pursue our own way. That can be the destruction of our dignity. That can be the destruction of, our, of a good mind, of a, of, a, of a good life. But as we pursue our own way, as, as we're hard and fast and stubborn and we're going to do this and we're going to do that and, and we don't receive correction from one another, that's when we're in danger and possibly on a course for destruction. And that's where this young man found himself in that pigsty at the lowest moment in his life. But this moment is such a precious moment. This moment, this, this low moment of his life actually instructs, instructs him and teaches him and corrects him. He said, I've sinned against God. I've sinned against God. He's repenting. What does it mean to repent? You know, that's an old word, isn't it, in the Bible that we don't hear so much of now. Repentance is a beautiful thing. Repentance is not a negative thing. 
Repentance is the most wonderful word. I thank God for repentance. If I didn't have access, if I couldn't repent, oh, my life would never have access to this beautiful, wonderful grace that God lavishly gives us. It simply means this repentance. The Greek word is metanoia. It simply means this. Or if you're Welsh, dion. Dion! Metanoia, it simply means this. To have a change of mind and a change of heart about God. Just imagine that it's simply having a change of mind and a change of heart about God. You change your mind and then God changes your heart. You do what you can and then suddenly God steps in and does what only he can. So the kid just begins to change his mind. He's got nothing in that pig pen, absolutely nothing, and he begins to change his mind. I have sinned against God, man. I have, I've, been on a, I've been on a reckless course for, for months now, even years, and I've just come to the end of myself. And the reason why, do you know what? The reason why I've, I'm in this mess, I'm taking responsibility. It wasn't because of my older brother breathing down my neck. It wasn't because of my father and the restrictions and the disciplines that he may have put upon me in the house as I was growing up. Do you know what? It was just because of my rebellious, black, dirty heart. I'm taking responsibility of it. God, I've sinned against you. That's repentance. And I'll tell the world about it. Away with this hiding. Away with this, you know, this, this passing the blame to another person. Just own up. I'm proud. I'm arrogant. The Bible, you know, the Bible's so honest and brutal and wonderful. Jeremiah gives us the answer. He says, the heart of man is desperately wicked. Who can know it? We might as well just say it. I've got a desperately wicked heart. You're agreeing with the word of God. It's the truth. I've got a desperately wicked heart. And if I can stand up in front of you lot and say it, then we can say it to one another. Why don't you turn to your neighbor right now? Go on and just say to them, I've got a desperately wicked heart without Jesus. There we go. Without Jesus. Do you know, do you know, listen, listen, some of you found it hard to say. You need to find freedom in Christ. You really do. You really do. And you'll be amazed. You'll be amazed. When that pride and that, that religiosity goes. Really. Without Christ, that's all it is. It's an old, desperate, wicked heart. That it, Well, I haven't done, I, I haven't really sinned much. Oh, really? Yeah, well, I haven't, I, I've never drunk. I've never drunk alcohol. I've never smoked. I've never had sex outside of marriage. I've never, I've, I've never, 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 never. Listen. Listen. Let's let the Bible answer that for all of us. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. End of story. We're all in the boat with the prodigal. We're all in the pigsty, man. We're all in it. And we stink of the stuff. 
It's all over us. But there is one that can make us whiter than snow. His name is Jesus. Hallelujah. I've sinned against, I've sinned against God. He got that right. And you know what? When you, when you sin against, when, when, you, when you confess your sins to God, and you just say, Lord, I have sinned against you, there's a new confidence that comes. There's a new confidence. Once you get your life right with God, there's a new confidence. I will arise, he says, and go to my father's house. I'm going to get up from this place. And you know what? I left my father's house saying, give me the inheritance of my, of my goods. But now he's going home and he's saying, oh, please make me. Please make me one of your hired servants. There's no demand. There's no selfishness. There's no arrogance or rebellion in this young man. There's a cry. Oh, make me. I'll even be happy to be made a servant. What a change. What a transformation. That's what repentance will do. And that's what the low moments of life will do too. It'll bring you to a point and position you ready to receive this glorious, glorious grace that God gives us. Let me read to you from Luke 15, verse 11 to 24. And this is how the, the, the young man set out from his father's house those years before saying, give me. And then we'll look at that part where he rises up and says, make me. Luke 15, 11 to 24. Then he said, a certain man had two sons. Jesus is talking. And the younger of them said to his father, give me the portion of goods that fall to me. Here you see the attitude of the kid when he starts out. Strong, confident. I'm going to do it my way. This is the way that I want to go. And then he rises up not many days after and wastes everything that he's been given. But then the transformation as he comes home, verse 18 and 19 says, I will arise and go to my father. You see, when you put it right with God, he enables you to rise up. He enables you to take those steps back to the house with a right heart, with a right attitude. I'll arise and go to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. And I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me one of your hired servants. He sets out on his journey home. I'm going to ask James to come. We're going to close in a few moments. He sets out on his way home. Undeterred, not trying to keep one foot in a faraway land, not trying to keep doors open or trying to, you know, keep lines of communication back in that place so if anything goes wrong, he can return. No, he's resolute now to go back to Father's house. It doesn't matter what the consequences are. It doesn't matter what he meets. He at least wants to get the opportunity before his father to say, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. Please make me one of your hired servants. He doesn't know the outcome, but he's on his way. 
And then we all know this story. It says the father has been looking probably day after day because he sees him a long way off. You're going to meet people next week and you're going to see them and they're going to be a far, far way off from coming into this house. But you're going to sense, you're going to sense an urgency within yourself just like the father had for this lost son. You're going to see them and they're going to be returning home in different ways, smelling of an old life that they're fed up with, smelling of an old life that they want to leave behind and they're going to be far off. And just like the father went running, he didn't wait for the son to get to the doorstep. He didn't have an attitude. Well, do you know what? That kid, I knew he'd be coming home. I knew he'd waste it all. I gave him the portion of goods that was divided to him. And do you know what? I, I knew it. I said he, it wouldn't be long before he'd be coming back here with his tail between his legs. Look, here he is. He's coming. Look. No, that wasn't the intention of the father. He was moved with compassion. And that compassion caused him to run towards the son. And you are going to be involved in conversations. And you're going to see people. Your heart is going to be moved with compassion. Just like the Father, you're going to be there for them. They're not going to be coming to church just yet. They're not going to be coming to your, your, your connect group just yet. But you're going to be the first person that they come into contact with that's going to express God's grace, God's goodness, God's love to them. And you're going to help them. You're going to aid them. You're going to be the one that's connected and that's going to connect with them. Father, it says, in the original language, it says, even though this kid is, is naked, just barely dressed, the father smothers him with kisses of acceptance. You see, this is a message of acceptance. This is a message of glorious grace and the outcome of glorious grace as it flows from the heart of the Father. It makes everything acceptable and everything new. This is the picture that Jesus was trying to present to religious pharisaical people that really despised the fact that he was with sinners that were far away from God. This is the picture here. And it's a, it's a story of acceptance. And the kid just starts to rehearse his lines, just like he'd said within himself, Father, I've, I've sinned against heaven. I've sinned against you. And suddenly the father, before he can get to the point where, of saying, make me one of your hired servants. The father says, bring out the best robe. The best robe in Jesus' day. See, this is very rich in the culture of the time in which Jesus lived. The best robe was reserved for the highest guest, for the guest of honor. If, if a father instructed his servants to bring out the best robe, and place it on a guest. He was 
declaring that this is the object of his favor. This is the object of his blessing. This is the one that is distinguished. This is the one that is to be noticed by all and under and clothed by grace and favor. And the Father issues this command that must have surprised everybody because when the Father set off running, they probably thought that he's going to hurl abuse at this kid. He's going to be angry with him. He's going to rail at him and turn him around and send him back to where he came from. But it's a startling message. It's an incredible, incredible picture of glorious grace and being made, accepted in the beloved. And he clothes his son with the highest honor, the best robe. What did the son have to do? The same thing that we have to do. Accept. You've been accepted. Simple as. Just accept it. Just accept that you've been accepted. No more questions of, well, is the father going to change his mind? Does the father really love me? He knows that I've been with prostitutes. He knows I've been sleeping with pigs. He knows that I've been with Gentiles. He knows that I've been to a faraway place. All of these things condemn him as a Jew. But no, when that robe came around him and wrapped him, he just had to accept that he was now accepted. Irrespective of his history, irrespective of his past, away with guilt, away with shame, away with all of those old memories, son. They don't belong in your mind anymore. What belongs in your mind is that you're favored by me, that you're the guest of honor in my house, and that's never going to change. You're not even going to be a servant now. And I know that you would have considered to be made a servant would be a privilege, but no. He put shoes on his on his feet, do you know what that said? Servants walk, <laughs> servants walk barefoot, man. And the father does not want that identity in the mind of the son that he loved, the son that he had received back. He put shoes on his feet. He's now reinstated as a son in the house. And then he gets, says, bring the ring. He puts a ring on his finger. And do you know what that is? What it symbolizes? Access to all areas. Access again to all areas of the house. That's what glorious grace does. It gives you access. I can talk about it. You can go to Romans 5 and, talk, and, and read what Paul says. He says, we have access through faith into this grace. Access, free, open access into the realm of grace in which we live. That's what the kid gets when, he, when the father puts a ring on his finger. Access to all areas. It's like giving him, now I haven't got a gold visa card. Don't put your hand up if you have. But it's like giving him a gold visa card. Saying, son, do you know what? I know you blew the last lot, but here's the gold card. You had the bronze before when you left the house. Here's the gold one. That's what grace does. He gets more on his return than when he left. And it doesn't calculate. It doesn't compute to our minds. 
because we think that he should be punished. We think that, that he should be disciplined. No, father knew that life had corrected him. Life had disciplined him. The pig pen had taught him what he needed to be taught. And now he came home corrected by life and appreciative of God's goodness, even to just be made a servant. And instead of being made a servant, he becomes a son. And then the next thing is this. The father says, kill the fatted calf. Get the music on. We're going to have a party. Yeah. <laughs> he, James, I tell you what, he's awesome. Running up and down here. Fantastic. We're going to have a party. We're going to celebrate because that which was dead is now alive. That which is lost has been found. This, isn't not, this is not a time to be morbid. This is not a time to remember what's been done. This is a time to celebrate where we are today and where we're going tomorrow. And the music starts. I mean, how long did it take? From the moment that the kid gets this best robe wrapped around him, a ring on his finger, shoes on his feet, how long did it take? to kill that fatted calf, get it on the spit for the music to start and the great festivity and celebration to start. I'm telling you now, it was happening so quick. This wasn't, you know, right, we'll do it in a week's time or a month's time to check you out and to see if you're going to crack our expectations and fulfill your promises. No, there were no expectations. There were no preconditions. There were no promises. It was undeserved, unmerited, unconditional grace. Glorious grace. That's what it does. The party begins. The party begins and the sun is reinstated. I'm going to ask the musicians to come. In the time in which we live, we're going to see this. This is the message of our lives. We're going to see prodigals return into the house of God. And their, their, their heads are going to be hanging low. Oh, if I can just... And they're going to have such a low expectation of life. But as a church family, we're going to embrace them. And we're going to lift them and we're going to say, No low expectation in this house. You're going to thrive you're going to flourish in the house of God. They're going to receive the best robe. They're going to see a ring on their finger and shoes on their feet as God reinstates them and reappoints them into his plan and purpose for their lives. And all of that history is going to become a testimony to God's amazing, wonderful grace and what it can do. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Why don't we give Jesus praise and thank Him for His glorious grace. Thank Him for the abundance of His grace. Thank Him for the all-sufficient manifold grace that He's lavished on our lives. Lord, I pray if there's one person here today that doesn't know You, that feels stripped by life, if there's one person here today that doesn't know the joy and the intimacy and the embrace that you give Jesus, Holy Spirit, right now, as our eyes are closed, I pray you would go 
across this place over every life. Oh, how you love us. Lord, I thank you. You, do, you don't stand far off today. You're up close. You even knock on the door of our hearts so tenderly, waiting patiently for us to open the door and invite you in. Jesus doesn't stand away from you today. Gee, I used to think Jesus was disgusted by my life until one day I realized that, oh, he loves me. And I'm telling you the same love that he had for me and has for me, he has for you. Why don't you pray a prayer today with me and ask Jesus into your heart? You know that you need this peace. You know that you need this newness of life that there's like a God-shaped hole inside you that only Jesus can fill. Why don't you ask him today with me? The answer to your life is not in some faraway place. It's not in some endless search from relationship to relationship, experience to experience. No, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. Listen, you're going to invite him in today. And you're going to have this relationship and this reunion with the Father that we've spoke about. Why don't you say this quietly with me? Whisper it in your heart. To ask Jesus into your heart. Say this, Jesus, I ask you today, please forgive me of my sin. I open the door of my heart and I ask you to come into my life. I place my trust in you and from this day forward, I pray that I would know you as my Savior and as my Lord. If you pray.